Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 27. We're joining the 27 club. Actually, that's kind of morbid. Uh, I can't think of anything else to do with 27. That's the only thing that comes to mind. Uh, I am Matt Jarvis. I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker. This week, I'm joined by just one of the team. It's quite a busy week, uh, but I'm honoured as ever to be joined by Alex Meehan. How are you doing, Meehan? We're here. We're, we're the last bastions of the Dicebreaker crew. We are the last of us. Uh, yeah, which is a pertinent reference that will no doubt come up later on in this podcast. Oh, he's always looking for an angle. <laughs> always I live looking. for the angle. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, this week, well, the team, the team were kind of all over the place. Uh, there's mm. some folks kind of off on holiday, taking some well-earned uh, rest. There's uh, Lolis and Wills are playing Among Us, I believe, right now. Yeah. Uh, so by the time you hear this, uh, it's it's gone, but I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Uh, They're representing the good ship Dicebreaker. Exactly. Um, uh, the good s- starship Dicebreaker. Yeah, so hopefully they'll do us proud. Otherwise we won't let them back in and we'll change the locks. Yeah, well I mean it depends how you, in Among Us, uh, it, I guess it depends how you judge proud because either it's, oh good good job you didn't get flushed out of the airlock or good job you murdered everyone else. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of I like mean, the... Like uh, Loli's um said in the tweet that went out earlier uh we're all veterans of the hidden role uh board game genre and among us is a video game with hidden role elements so frankly you know they've got no excuse yeah absolutely i mean i i don't trust them for one which means that they'll be brilliant (laughs) at that game i do of course trust them very deeply uh no yeah we're all brilliant part of our own circle of trust Mm-hmm. But let's move on, as is as is the way in this podcast, where we're here to talk about board games and tabletop RPGs for the next hour or so. Yes. Uh, let's chat about what we've been playing, which this week is a weird one because we have been we played a game together. Uh, yeah. So when it's just the two of us, it's like, well, I know you, what you've been playing because I was there also. Yeah, in a se- in a sense, in like a virtual sense. Yeah. You were there. Yeah, I mean, yes. I mean, I was also there literally speaking to you at the time. So it's not like I was just this kind of like embodied spirit. But uh... Yeah, no, that's how I see you right now. <laughs> to me, you're not Matt Jarvis. You're like in the computer. Mm. All of my appearances are just pre-recorded and the, the team just improvise around me. Oh, well, <laughs> imagine that as like a twist. <laughs> but uh, we were playing Escape the Dark Castle. Uh, which I I had not played before. Um, I've kind of I've come across it quite a few times over the years, um, but I'd actually never played it myself. I'd always just kind of read what other people had thought about it, and generally, generally, I think people were kind of into it. I think they they like the retro vibe of it, right? It's it's kind of like a it's got the look of a game that could have come out in the seventies, like very yeah, kind of black and white stark art. Yeah, it's got um, a very text adventure style to it where it's like you can imagine those kind of that kind of artwork yeah like in in a game of that era and i think the key to liking escape the dark castle is just being aware of like what it is like it's not anything incredibly complex it's not going to really make you think on you know all that much uh, but I don't think it ever comes across as that way. It's always very much 
come across to me as like, here's this goofy thing that you can play and it's more about kind of atmosphere and having a good time with it rather than, you know, actually treating it like a very in-depth experience. Yeah, uh, I suppose I should be up front and say that a, a good long time ago now, probably five, six years ago, I actually uh, worked with one of the creators of Escape the Dark Castle uh, who mm. wrote for a magazine I was working on at the time, although we have not worked together in a number of years because he went off to design this game and launch, uh, launch the publisher behind it, Fiendborn. Um, yes. But yeah, it's, yeah, I think you're totally right when you say it's it's all about the atmosphere. Like playing it was like we were doing uh, spooky voices and kind of getting into the, it's, it's very much that kind of like, oh, you walk through a door and there's a skull. Oh, there's some bubbly soup and there's someone stirring it with an arm. That kind of thing. <laughs> with an arm? <laughs> Or with oh a, like goodness. yeah like a, but it's a detached arm oh. Oh. um it's because <laughs> yeah. the cards are basically that and it's like okay you you roll some dice to see if you win or lose yeah but, yeah that's uh, all it is yeah, yeah it's very random like there are a few decisions you can make that might push things in your favor but for the most part it is very much based on dice rolls and again it never comes across as being anything but that. Like, it is actually quite a difficult game in general. Like, I've not won it many times, but that's never been a problem for me because it's not really about winning. It's more just about seeing how far you can get in the deck that you've made and seeing what kind of silly, spooky scenarios you can come across the game has a free soundtrack that you can find on YouTube, um, which is appropriately spooky. I would recommend playing it whilst you're playing the game. And spooky voices are mandatory. If you don't do it, then, I don't know, a cook will come and find you and make you into a pie like Mrs. Lovett. <laughs> Yeah, and so we were we were playing on Tabletop Simulator, which I mm. don't know if that's made by the creators, but it was kind of like a it, it was, was pretty good. substantial yeah. thing. It had I think all the expansion packs, and it had like the the Tabletop Simulator virtual tablet that then loads YouTube uh, and has the soundtrack <laughs> on it. It doesn't just load YouTube; it just it's just a Chrome browser on it. Yeah, so you can legitimately search anything on there. So yeah. if you were bored with that, then you could just start, I don't know. Looking up search. recipes. Yeah, it, looking up recipes. <laughs> to soup. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's got... Um, you're from a similar era, Mr. Jarvis. A similar era? <laughs> Where's this going? We were just talking about the 1970s. <laughs> no, no, I mean to me. Oh, sure, yeah, okay. Did you ever watch that children's program, Trapped, or not? Yeah, yeah. I often yeah. think of the way that that, you're trapped. Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember from that program. I think yeah. it's very much one of those, like, 90s kids will remember this. The yeah, program yeah, trapped. it's very much. Although, yeah, it was like an early, I'm going to say, it might have been later than that, like, noughties, like, children's, like, show where you it's like a game show where you go into a tower or something and there's some weirdos in there <laughs> and you you do like these challenges yeah and there's a, a a lady in there who says you're trapped 
And it's yeah, very it's... much... I relate that very much to Escape the Dark Castle. It's yeah. got that. I mean, I think Trap was basically Fort Boyard for kids, right? Is that like yeah. in a similar thing of like Jungle Run or... Uh, apologies to probably all the listeners outside of the UK who have no idea what any of these programs. Yeah. I assume they're very like British children's programs. Look, look them up. Oh my goodness, please look them up. They are of an era that is just. We're never going to see anything like that again. I think the closest comparison the US might have is like, oh my gosh, was it Legends of the Hidden Temple? I don't. I have no idea. I'm aware of that show, and that was a bit like Jungle Run. Anyway. Escape the Dark Castle was good, and you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was. Honest. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, I can see why people would enjoy this. It's like speaking of like nostalgia, like we were chatting about Hero Quest last week. It's very much in that vein of it feels like something that could have come out twenty or thirty years ago. It looks like something that could have come out twenty, thirty years ago. Like it, it does what it does. Like I don't think it's trying to be more than that. I think. No it will chime very well if you are kind of willing to get into it a bit or that you or you have memories of those kinds of games or or the children's program trapped um but as we <laughs> very uh, specific audience yeah, as we were going through i did start to think okay well once we've seen these cards you kind of shuffle random event cards into a deck and you just yeah. go through the deck it's not like it branches at all it's yeah. just read the card do the thing draw the next card read the card yep. do the thing Which there is... are no, yeah which is what I'd say is, I'd say that the expansions do add some interesting little quirks. I've got one of them. Uh, and essentially it makes the game harder. Uh, but I like that because the game already is, is you know, comes across as kind of unforgiving. Um, and the sequel, which I'm still in the middle of playing, um, I will say it does add quite a substantial amount of mechanics to the same framework, but it does some interesting things with structuring the story for each playthrough. And it adds an entirely new style of combat and changes the way that combat works in the game. So that now it just feels like you're actually making more decisions and weapons are more frequent and you do more with them and yeah i think it takes the framework of escape the dark castle and it does more with it than i actually expected like i thought that the sequel would just be it's in space now and it is in space now but also there is more and you know um i would say it's potentially harder as well which is interesting um, but may I would need more more playthroughs to confirm that, to yeah. be honest. So this is Escape the Dark Sector. Um, it is Escape yeah. the Dark Sector, yeah. Because the combat in the combat in Castle is just you roll dice to try and yep. match the enemy, and for yep. every match you take them off, you suffer damage yep. if they kind of stick around. So how does it work in Sector Dark Sector? Um, so in Escape the Dark Sector, there are two types of combat that you can choose to do. There's close combat and there's ranged combat. And um, in order to do ranged combat, you need a ranged weapon. Uh, whereas close combat, you can just go in there without weaponry. Lucky enough, right from the beginning, weapons are fairly... We got a hold of some very quickly. Um, and the advantage of going ranged is the fact that you can start off in ranged and move into close combat. 
but if you choose close combat strike where you cannot go back to range which makes a lot of logical sense because once you've moved in onto an enemy it's very unlikely you're going to be able to suddenly go actually lads let's quit <laughs> actually, let's... hold on <laughs> hold on stop trying to stab me let me back up a couple places <laughs> yeah come on um and the the big advantage with range apart from being able to use range weapons is the fact that you've got a chance of not being hit by the enemy's attacks whereas in close combat you've got to take that damage um output from the enemy uh, but obviously with close combat you don't need certain weapons to do that um, and there are other sort of actions that you can perform depending on which style of combat you're in and healing works a lot differently um, you can't actually rest anymore um, huh. between rounds of combat so in the first game you can choose to rest instead of fight which allows you to gain one HP Whereas in this game, you get healing items and there is a special drone you can use once per, they call them chapters, um, which gives you health as well. Um, but once that is used in the chapter, you can't use it again to the next one. Um, I actually prefer this because one thing I do say about the first game is sometimes it can get very repetitive. And it can kind of feel like you're, you're sort of, what's the word, like twisting the system, taking advantage of it. If you're just like, okay, now I'll rest, now you do the thing. It can mm. kind of feel like it's going on and on. Whereas I feel like in this game, it makes combat encounters feel even more like tense and like decisions matter a lot more. And because you have more decisions to make, that ties much better together. And, you know, there are ways to heal, but you've, you're more desperate for them. Uh, I kind of prefer that rather than just sort of juicing, resting as much as you can. Yeah, that was definitely yeah. something where we were playing. We had, there were three of us and it was like, okay, we'll, we'll both sit out because you have the most like wisdom and yeah. wisdom is all yeah. that's essentially left to get rid of. So we would just sit there while you were rolling and rolling and rolling. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, oh, it, okay. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, there, I, I've only played it like once, so I can't, I, I don't remember every single thing about it, but from that experience of playing, um, I would say that it is better. <laughs> Uh, I I obviously need to play a lot more to exactly explain why and to confirm that. But from from that experience alone, I was like surprised. But there, it's a it's not as simple a game as the first one. But that is the trade off for adding more to yeah. it. it. So yeah, it seems promising that it's not just reskinning it to yeah. space station. Yeah, I'm impressed that they didn't just do that. Like, there is a lot more to it. So, yeah, you will have to wait and see. Yes, we will have a review at some point once you've played it enough, essentially. Yeah, yes. Um, well, luckily, my flatmate is back in the flat now, so we can play that. And I'm afraid they're going to have to just get used to doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is a, for folks out there wanting to give it a go, I believe there is an Escape the Dark Sector tabletop sim 
mod going up this week from the the creator of the Dark Castle mod that we played. Um, although whether whether that is up by the time you hear this, who knows? Because we can't see into the future. Um, but if you're interested in checking it out, I believe it should be up there. Hmm. Well, that should help me because then I'll have more than one other person to play with. Hmm. Yay! All right. What else have you been playing? Well, last night, I gave the digital version of Suro a look. Um, disclaimer, we were sent codes for the game. Yeah, um, I believe it's a beta version. Mm. Um, I think we can talk about it. Uh, well, if you can't, this bit's getting edited out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me just double check in this email. There's no embargo <laughs> mentioned here. This is the fun of uh, jumping straight into this podcast. There's yeah. no embargo mentioned of Suro. Okay. So we're all good. We're all good. A little bit uh, behind I... the scenes treat there for listeners <laughs> as two people Look, check we... emails. <laughs> we live life fast and loose uh, <laughs> over at Dicebreaker HQ. So, you know, uh, it's fine. Yeah, um, I played that last night on PC. So it's already been out on like mobiles for a while and even VR which um, we covered recently in news piece um, but this version is yeah for PC and Mac um, and I, it's pretty good I mean it's zero like for anyone who doesn't know what that is it's just a very simple kind of abstract game where you move your little token along a board by placing tiles that have like lines drawn on them and the lines connect to one another you just have to basically try and keep your piece on the board for as long as possible without it going off the board or colliding with another person's piece uh, and that's it so the the way they presented it in the digital version is actually quite nice like the it's very much what we were talking about the other day with was it root where you were talking about the the digital version is still very much it's the game it's like zero uh the board is there the pieces are there uh it's still a recognizable you know board game but they add some nice flourishes that you can only really get in a digital port so you know when you place the tiles down the little pieces move along by themselves and they make a really satisfying like it sounds like someone's carving something into stone or like uh, okay like a kind yeah. of like sliding yeah it's like that and um when they go around when they make loops they make little fireworks um yeah, it's quite nice and and the board looks really nice and there's there's a gentle music track playing in the background, and there are three different settings for AI, uh, which are like silly, tricky, and clever. And you know what? The clever AI will give you a run for your money. Like I didn't win against that AI, and I played like three times. Um, I think the closest I got was we made it right to the end, and I just. I had no way out, so I just had to put a tile that caused us to collide, and no one won. <laughs> so, so um, and I even played a game where I controlled all the pieces, 
and sort of tried that out. And there is going to be online multiplayer as well as local multiplayer. Obviously the online multiplayer isn't available at the moment, so I haven't been able to try that. But um, I imagine it's just going to be zero when you can play online. So um, I thought it was good. And as soon as you open the game, you get a nice little tutorial. And even for someone who's played the game, it was very unirritating. Like, it was just like, oh yeah, okay, this is how you do it. And then it lets you basically play until you've won or lost against the AI. And that's it. And it was like, okay, here you go. Now you can play the game. Nice. I yeah. think I just... Uh... While you're describing it, I double-checked the release date, and it's out on the 19th of October on it Steam. It is indeed. And then I think yes. the VR version for Oculus Quest is out, uh, like, 23rd. either... 23rd. okay, so slightly after that. Yeah, um, that one is quite a bit different in terms of its presentation. Yeah, because you're kind of you're walking along it in first person, something like I that, which is interesting. I can't 100% confirm that you can walk... So it's set in a garden that's like a Zen-style garden. I cannot 100% confirm whether you can actually walk around the garden. Like, I've <laughs> only seen footage of the people interacting with the player pieces on the board. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so, I don't want to assume anything. But it would be cool if you could walk around that garden, because it looked really nice. Yeah. Like a fox in there, and... <laughs> but can you pet the fox? That's can the, you that's pet the, the question. Fox? Yeah, that is the question. I was, but like... Yeah. I, I have a VR headset from several years ago when I was working in video games. And recently, oh. as it has been one of those things where lockdown and playing board games online with people got me thinking like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really costly, but I wonder whether if we all had headsets and we all had like little avatars sat around, whether that would have been an, like a fun way of kind of bridging that gap. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we would be obviously limited by how much that would cost, but also what's available to play on there, because I don't 100% know what the libraries are like. Yeah, the only ones I can think of are Catan, Boss Monster, obviously Suro coming out, and that's kind of it. But I think like Tabletop Sim has a VR mode, I believe. I think it does, because whenever you open up, it asks, do you want to play in VR mode? Yeah. Um, th I think that would be hilarious. Um, it would depend whether we could, we could get that on our budget. <laughs> It's until you think that you're flipping a table inside the game and you just take the headset off to find your kind of living room trashed. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, immersive. <laughs> All right. Uh, what is... have you been playing, Matt Jarvis? I have. I've actually, this week, I managed to play some games because it's my wife's birthday over the weekend and we managed to play some games for her birthday weekend. Uh, so we played some more Crokinole. Um, oh. which will be a familiar name to anyone that's listened to this podcast before or Crock read the, the website. Yes. Uh, and yeah, Crokinole continues to be incredible. It always has been. It always mm. will be. Mm. Um, I did. I put too much gliss on the board because uh, it had been a little while. So it's like, oh, we need to make the thing slide again and then turned it and it just went <laughs> across the board. <laughs> so then you spend kind of a few rounds just almost rubbing it in with the pieces because they it goes the other way and they just come to a very sudden stop. Mm. But but once it's all kind of glissed up again, mm. there's nothing glissed like it. Up. Yeah, there's nothing like sliding the pucks around. It's so good. 
Um, and I, we also managed to play a bit of Journeys in Middle-earth, uh, the Lord of the Rings game. Oh! Which uh, we hadn't played in a while, and it's one of those things, so for those who don't know, uh, Journeys in Middle-earth is kind of like an app-powered adventure game. It is very mm. similar to Mansions of Madness. Um, but the main difference in Journeys in Middle-earth is that, A, you can have a campaign, so you have you form a party, you kind of have classes you can pick, almost like Dungeons & Dragons, which have specific cards associated with them. Uh, and you can unlock certain cards by making decisions through the story. Um, and also, it's not... Whereas Mansions of Madness, you roll dice and see if you perform the test right. In Journeys of Middle-earth, you draw cards from your deck. So everyone has kind of a unique deck based on their character, their class, things they picked up, uh, skills that they develop. So that means... We'd, we came back to it after a while, and it's one of those things where we play a lot of Mansions of Madness, and you can jump in very quickly, because it's just like, okay, we're going to do a one like a one-off scenario, like you get the investigator out, you pick your investigator, they start with maybe two item cards, you set up the board as it tells you, you're going. Here it's like, okay, well the last time we played this, we were halfway through a campaign with four people, so we're starting a new campaign, so that means deconstructing the decks we had for those characters, reconstructing them for the characters we're going to play as this time. It doesn't take loads of time, but it's just an extra, it was like an extra 10 minutes or so, that I'd forgotten about. Um, we were also playing the DLC campaign, Hunt for the Ember Crown, I think it's called, um, which starts with a combat scenario, which I think they're not as strong as the exploration scenarios. So the combat ones take place on kind of dedicated square boards, and they are, as they sound, you just fight a lot of monsters. The idea is to survive, to, you know, Whereas the exploration ones are, you're uncovering the map, you're kind of exploring the world of Middle-earth, you are meeting like characters from the world, you are making mm. more decisions, which is a lot more interesting, I think, for, for me and kind of our group. So mm. like the combat's fine, but it's you move into a thing, you draw some cards to see if you, you know, did enough damage, and you kind of repeat that for about half an hour, 40 minutes. So it was fine, but I forgot that it opened on that rather than exploring. But yeah, Do you I, get to meet Tom Bombadil or not? Uh, I don't think Tom Bombadil's in there. Bilbo is part of that. It's a really weird selection of characters. So I think like all of the Fancy Flight Lord of the Rings games, so that's the card game and this, um, it takes place between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So your selection of characters is there's Bilbo in there. I think there's Gimli, there's Aragorn, there's mm. Legolas. Then there's some original characters, I believe. So Berivor and, um, oh goodness, Elena, the musician. Um, so it's this mixture of kind of original characters, then some of the Fellowship, then mm. Bilbo Baggins, for some reason, who's still sticking around from The Hobbit. So it's like this real kind of hodgepodge of, of mixtures of characters. And that is one of the things that I think about Journeys in Middle-earth, is like on the whole, I really like that game. Um, but the story and the world kind of lacks a bit of direction, I think, just by the nature mm. of having to squeeze into the gap. So it's just kind of a bit vague, where it's like, I mean... yeah, I don't know, walk around, see these things that you know from Lord of the Rings, I don't know, kill some orcs. Um, but... It's still a decent gap. I mean, disclaimer, I'm not a Lord of the Rings expert by any means. But this is it still like a... How old is Bilbo, like? a decent age yeah i think yeah it's a good uh well he's uh he's a oh gosh lord of the rings fans will crucify me for this (laughs) 
his birthday is eleven. Is it his eleventy-first birthday at the start of the, yeah, Lord, the Fellowship like of the Ring? Yeah. So that's a hundred and eleven. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So I think there's like a sixty or seventy-year gap between oh, Hobbit okay. and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's not very long. <laughs> so I think that this squeezes into there somewhere. Obviously, you've got Aragorn, so this is towards the tail end. But Aragorn is himself quite old. I this yeah, is not I mean, the place to like suddenly be. He, yeah, he's like a he's he's like a he's not a human, is he? He's like a different type of human from. Yeah, he's yeah oddly long lived. Yes, I yeah we don't know the specific, dear viewers and listeners, but we are aware that that isn't really a very long time considering how much of. Like a time scale is covered in the Lord of the Rings kind of universe in general, mm. uh, and yeah, I can imagine if they had more time to play with, they would have been able to do a bit more. But um, I'm sure it's got your classic beats, you know. Yeah. You fight some orcs, and there's probably some spiders involved. Or... Yeah, they do. There's like there's wargs. Um, oh yeah. So Hunt for the Ember Crown introduces. There is like a separate there is a separate expansion pack that has miniatures and cards that are specific to the campaign, but I think you can just download the DLC for a couple of quid. Um, mm. But it introduces Colfang, that is a like a big boss warg, mm. um, as a well. A big one. Yeah, uh, uh, she she has like arrows stuck in her back. Like it's quite a good miniature. Um, the miniatures are much better than Mansions of Madness. It's worth saying because the min- the miniatures in Mansions of Madness are really bad. They are kind of they're all bent out of shape by the time you open the box for the first time uh, and they're very awkward but uh yeah journey to middle earth i think is it's still a really good game i think it just lacks some of the the narrative power of mansions i just think it's not as interesting narratively yeah. like the gameplay is much better and you can explore the world in a much more interesting way but sometimes it's just a bit like yeah i mean this is lord of the rings you're just kind of like trotting around yeah. doing the lord of the rings things yeah you can walk around my house like my flatmate does and loudly <laughs> sing some of the various songs from the films uh, so loudly that i can hear across the other side of the flat do you mean like the the howard shaw score or do you mean like the songs that they sing <laughs> so like <laughs> no no definitely the score okay. i Oh wait, like the one that Mary sings. Yeah, or the start of the Hobbit, which is no, no, it's wait. like four hours of that's not Mary, that's dwarfs Pippin. singing with Bilbo singing at Bilbo. No. no, the one, not the one that Pippin sings, that creepy, creepy king. Denethor, no, yeah, not yeah. not that. Why well, he just <laughs> eats a chicken noisily yeah. <laughs> when he when he eats food in possibly the most disgusting it's, manner I've yeah, ever it's seen. Very unpleasant. <laughs> with just close ups of Pippin's face as he's singing that song anyway all right well we've we've covered the lord of the rings law take that box yeah, off the, goodness, the podcast schedule uh that's all i've been playing um i did i did want to play the king is dead the second edition which i mentioned last week but i just haven't i didn't find time in amongst the other things i was playing but i am looking yeah. forward to diving back we into had it. to um research lord of the rings law we can't exactly yeah i was busy rereading uh all of the lord of the rings oh, just so i could get it wrong on this podcast uh all right let's let's shift into news shall we uh yes. and we excitingly set this up during the intro um 
Alex Meehan. I've, well, I, I mean, I say, tell us about the Last of Us board game, like because we both work on the website, we both kind of know about Last of the Us board game. So should we yeah. just chat about it? Yeah, let's but, just talk about it, Matt Jarvis. I'm quite happy to do that with you. Yeah. So if you, but if you let the let the dear listeners know, what what is this? <laughs> well, uh, if you're not familiar with the Last of Us. It's a video game series uh, that's quite popular. Um, yeah. <laughs> you may have heard of it. You may have heard of it. Um, it. It's set in a post-apocalyptic world where everyone's been sort of taken over by a fungal disease that sort of turns them into zombie-like creatures. Uh, and yeah, the first one starred characters Ellie and Joel as they're kind of trying to make their way across the US and the second one is more about Ellie um, but the was announcement last week uh, that there's going to be a Last of Us board game uh, from Come Come On mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we still haven't decided how we're saying that. They pronounce it as Simon but I just, I can't bring myself to do it Simon doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> no, I'd rather do it wrong and say, "Come on." It's like the the uh, widespread British uh, chain Kex, uh, Cex, C E X. Yeah. Which yeah. At point particularly on an audio <laughs> podcast, there are just certain words where you just have to stick to your guns. Or, or the classic television publisher studio dick. <laughs> um, that I don't know. <laughs> They did a lot of animated shows. Uh, anyway, enough about that. <laughs> um, yeah, the Last of Us board game. Um, there are not that many details about it available yet. Um, you know, in the they put a post, come on, put a post on their website, basically announcing it and saying, we wanted to recreate some of the best moments from the series. They haven't confirmed whether it's going to be based on the first game, the second game, or both, or just set in the world. They haven't said if Ellie and Joel are going to be in it. Yeah, you would like this is complete um, kind of guessing, speculation. Uh, yeah, yeah, speculation. That would be the word. Um, but knowing Command's kinds of games, I would suspect it's going to be some kind of a dungeon crawler along yep. the lines yep. of Zombicide. Um, yep. It will feature miniatures because, yep. of course, it will. Yep. Um, and I would guess that it would probably just be maybe just scenarios yeah. based on particular things. So maybe there's the section with the sniper is the one that comes to mind from Last of Us 1. Yeah. Uh, maybe yeah, the bit where you're trapped or... in the power station. Uh, I'm trying to remember Last of Us 1. It's been yeah, it's been a, a long while. I remember the story, game. but not gameplay. I guess that's the weird... Yeah thing is like the bit when you're ellie in the in the first game yeah but i suppose that's the thing is like last of us the the gameplay is very strong but the i think the reason those games do really well is people really like the characters yeah yeah because the gameplay ways they're essentially third person shooters they're very you know polished third person Mm. shooters but they are still you know the the real draw is the characters and story yeah so the question is how story driven will this be yeah, they have like crafting elements in them. Yeah. Which I imagine is probably going to come up in the gameplay. And, you know, they're typically, depending on how you view difficulty in video games, I'd say they tend to veer to the 
more difficult sort of uh, area when it comes to mainstream releases. Um, particularly, they're almost on a level, I'd say, of survival horror in mm-hmm. some parts. So I wonder if they're going to bring that over in terms of like harsh penalties. If you, so you're not really supposed to just barrel into enemies straight, you know, uh, line. You're you're supposed to kind of come up behind them and do the stealthy thing. So yeah. I wonder if there are going to be penalties for making noise or things like that, depending on who you're you're going up against. I would yeah, I would suspect that there must be right because that's if they've got clickers in there, the whole clicker yeah, thing yeah. is you make noise, they run at you, and yeah, it's yeah. unpleasant. It, yeah, so... I mean in the game, yeah, it's some of the scariest parts are when you're in in buildings and there are clickers in there because some of because clickers predominantly can kill you in in one once they get you, you're you're basically dead in that mm. game. Like so, I wonder if how they're going to translate that into a board game, but um. I would imagine they're probably just going to do the first game and then maybe they might have an expansion based on the sequel, depending on how well this does. Like, yeah. Because, I mean, the sequel sold incredibly... So Last of Us Part 2, as far as I know, sold incredibly well. So they would... they It would surprise me if they didn't do something on it. Uh, but I, I'm guessing they will start with just the third game. Not the third game. The first one. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I would. And there was also a very good DLC for the first game, the name of which yeah. I can't remember now. So I wonder left maybe behind. That's it, left behind. I wonder maybe that will pop yeah. up as an ex. If this, an presuming this comes to Kickstarter, like most of Command's games, because yeah. I there's been no price, no release date, no confirmation of Kickstarter. Is that right? I think it's just they're just yeah. like, yeah, we're we're making this. Yep. It'll be out sometime oh. i mean they've already made games for sony in the past hmm. like they made the the bloodborne game the card game and the god of war card game so like it's unsurprising that they've managed to secure this they've obviously got a good relationship with sony and you know the last of us has proven to be a very popular ip uh i imagine it will probably be yeah like a miniatures scenario but yep. um you know, come on, make some pretty good games. They do. I so... yeah, I really like the Bloodborne card game. I was surprised by how good it was. Yeah, so. I I think they do have a level of quality that I think gives me hope that this could be good. I mean, yeah, I I imagine it is going to be a kind of miniatures affair, which is fine. But um, hey, they might do something interesting considering the mechanics in the video game is based on so yeah there you go keep mm-hmm. keep eyes ears tongues whatever open Ugh. for for more information on this one uh well moving <laughs> on from that uh speaking of come on and polishing up a game uh another one of their games has been delayed Tell us, Mian, about Trudvang Legends. Trudvang Legends uh, has been delayed for quote possibly a year. Yeah, um, it's that's like a very like I don't know, vague. like maybe a year, maybe yeah. two months. Maybe a year. I mean, they've got a good reason to kind of be vague about it because yeah. the reason why they're delaying it is because they're still in development stage for the game itself. So essentially, what seems to have happened is they've. They've designed the game up to a point 
and they've looked at it and gone when you know uh, there's a quote here that says we are not happy with how the actual game is shaping up which is not a positive <laughs> perspective to have on a game that was due to come out this year um i think it was originally due to come out pretty soon right and yeah i think it was so it was kickstarted a couple years ago i, I believe think it's december i think it was right. supposed to come out this december um and now it's been pushed back by at least a year. So essentially the Kickstarter is already done and dusted. Um, and backers were supposed to receive their copies in December. Uh, that's obviously not going to happen anymore. Um, because they are redesigning the game quite substantially it looks like. And they brought some more people in to help redesign some of the bits they're not happy with. So um, they brought some people from War of the Ring, which is a Lord of the Rings. Is it like a war game? Yeah, it's it's almost yeah. like very big risk. Uh, war okay. of the Ring is it simulates essentially like the whole trilogy of Lord of the Rings. One person plays the free people, so elves, dwarves, men, and mm. the Fellowship, and then the other person plays like the forces of Saruman and Sauron. So yeah. it's it's like f often around three four five hours to play but it boils down to being like a grand strategy game along yeah. the lines of risk which that funnily enough these these uh designers have been brought on to improve the story of true dragon legends mm -hmm. which which is interesting uh uh they've also uh given geordie ad adan adan who is the creator of Car cartographers which um You've played that, have you not? Yeah, I really like cartographers. It's the yeah. kind of map, like tile, tile laying, map making game. Yeah. Uh, which is a very, it sounds like a very different scale to a uh, True Vane Legends. Uh, yeah. But it's a very but, good uh, game. So. Yeah, um, they have been pushed to the role of lead developer on the project. Um, so it sounds like it's a mixture of story elements that are just not working, mixed with gameplay elements that need to then work with potentially a new story, and. Uh, Eric Lang, uh, was one of the co-designers on the game, uh, posted about it on Twitter, just saying, yep, it's going to be a redevelopment. Uh, they're still working on it, despite leaving Come On early this year. Um, but they've got a pretty good relationship with the company, so... Yeah, we'll have to wait and see how it does. It's a pretty big project like, yeah they've they described it as like very ambitious if i'm remembering right when they first announced it um because i believe it's based on an rpg yeah just yeah. called trudvang or trudvang chronicles or something something Trude along those chronicles. that's the one yeah so it's, like, it's nordic and celtic mythology yeah and i think i may be hopefully i'm remembering the right game i think when they first announced trudvang legends the board has uh like plastic pockets on it and as you play, you put cards in the pockets and it kind of permanently changes the the world. But it's that designed probably... to be resettable. So almost like a legacy game, but instead of stickers, yeah. it's um, cards that you can then take out and reset yeah. everything back to yeah. normal. I think that sounds about right because I didn't, I haven't read anything specifically about card placement or anything like that. But I, I did read that it's intended to be played multiple times and... But certain things will affect the next playthrough. They call it, I think they call it generations. Um, so each generation of heroes 
is affected by what the previous generation mm. has done. So uh, yeah, I mean they've they raised uh, about a million and a half <laughs> for their Kickstarter. So yeah, I imagine there's quite a few people waiting. But to be honest, I think what they've done is admirable. Like, it's better to realise that what you've been doing isn't up to standards rather than just going, oh, well, I guess we'll squirt this out, whatever. Yeah, it feels sometimes like there's a sense of, particularly if, like, so far we've talked about Last of Us, we've talked about, you know, adaptation of RPG. There's mm. there's a lot of licensed games coming out because they hinge off of that, you know, familiarity. Okay. And I think a lot of people think they are almost kind of being churned out. So to be... Yeah, to take the time and just be like, yeah. look, we, we want to put something good out, I yeah. think is, yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of refreshing in a way. I'm sure if you back this, obviously it's disappointing to have to wait that much longer, um, but I guess Kickstarter delays, not uncommon uh, yeah. in this industry. Also, if you've paid this much for the game, it's not cheap, um, then you want something good for your money. So, mm-hmm. you know, I've always preferred, you know, delays to an extent over just rushing it out and whatever state it is anyway so hey good luck good luck to you (laughs) (laughs) there you go Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I can't segue from that into this I'm just gonna just gonna say it Uh, there are new graphic novels on the way also from come on it's a very kind of come on heavy uh, news segment Um, so this is the division of come on that makes comics based on board games uh, it's something relatively recent, so I think they've done one set of comics so far, uh, which of course they took to Kickstarter, as of everything. Um, yep. So it was Zombicide, Zombicide Invader, and something else, Cthulhu Death May Die. Um, ah. So they made comics based on those, which were their own properties. But now Kaman's comics division, which is called Guillotine Press, uh, is making a comic or graphic novels even of Twilight Imperium and Android which are two games yeah, from Fancy Flight, Flight. right? This yeah. is wild, Mr. Jarvis, because it's like two big publishers that usually would be com- competitors are teaming up. Yeah, I think so. Asmodi, which owns Fancy Flight, uh, distributes Come On Games, I believe. So there is there is a relationship there. They're not at loggerheads. Mm. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's just kind of interesting because um, Asmodi has its own outlet for books called Aconite Press. Mm. So, but I think everything they've announced so far through Aconite Press is they are novels. They're kind of like fiction rather than graphic novels. So presumably they just felt that Guillotine Press or Command could, could do the comics kind of better than they could. So, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. So there are no titles yet. There's no real information. Um, They've simply mentioned that they are working with quote, veteran writers and artists. Yeah, um, they will say that. <laughs> yeah, but there's no there's no suggestion of how they might tie into the worlds where they might take place. Um, so for those who don't know, Twilight Imperium is like a very kind of sweeping sci-fi game. It was Fancy Flight's first game that they ever put out in the mid-90s. Um, fourth edition was kind of three years ago now, I think. Uh, it is, it's notable for having a kind of very original universe that includes the Hakan, who are essentially lion people, Um there are, I think there's a faction that lives the other side of a wormhole. Um, and these are all playable factions in the game. Um, it has quite a rich universe. There's been, I think they put out a role-playing game that they don't talk about anymore because I think it was quite bad uh, about 15 years ago. But they have yeah. done other games set in that universe. But I think 
they announced a, a novel recently that I don't believe is out yet. That's also set in the Twilight Imperium universe. So it seems like they're going all in on kind yeah. of building it up as a, a universe uh, yeah. within its own right. Um, and then, of I course, think a lot of um, sorry to cut in, but I think a lot of IPs are following like the D and D sort of direction of these are more than just tabletop games. They are enormous like brands almost where like there are yeah like um books and graphic novels and you know who knows what else yeah i mean well there's film? like a, yeah i mean there's a Catan movie in the works right so if you can make a film of Catan, you can make one of twilight imperium um, oh. and no doubt they would jump at the chance uh, i think there's also yeah, a reality I mean... tv show based on ticket to ride what yeah, there's like a reality TV show based on Ticket to Ride that's being made somewhere. I think the the premise is that teams compete to travel by train, obviously, from one place to another, either quickest or cheapest or doing certain things along the way. Yeah. This I was mean, definitely a story, I remember. Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not <laughs> I'm not doubting you, Mr. Jarvis. I'm just saying a more accurate television show would be them building train tracks. Yeah, that might be. That, be boring. <laughs> this is a series that's like four hundred episodes long, and every episode is just people <laughs> well, pouring the iron into molds and track. then laying them down. <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, I, I'm not surprised this is happening. Like, as tabletop gaming becomes more popular, there's more money in it. There's more opportunities to kind of um, milk that sweetness, <laughs> as it were. Yeah, so Android, of course, the other one is best known for Netrunner, Android Netrunner, uh, which I, is no longer around yep. because uh, the license, I believe the license was pulled. Yeah, it was for various reasons. Um, so Android also, the series includes Android, the board game, and New Angeles, and uh, there are some more Android games. There's yeah, Shadow of the title. Beanstalk for the Genesis RPG. So again, that's they've they've branched out a bit there as well. Um, yeah, and I believe there have been some Android books in the past as well. So again, not not completely out of the blue, but certainly kind of interesting to see them take this direction with it. Uh, mm. What's also interesting is they have said that the books or the graphic novels will include tie-in game components for the board games. So they did this with um, the previous run of comics from Guillotine Press. So zomb- the Zombicide, Zombicide, Invader, and Cthulhu Death May Die uh, comics included miniatures and promo cards and bits and bobs like that. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think it bothers me much if it's just like a little thing. And, you know, you're probably going to enjoy that if you're a fan of the yeah. games. And you get this, obviously you get this cool book as well. So, like, yeah. I mean, Fantasy Flight slash Asmodee have been doing that with their novels as well like the arc some of the arkham horror files novels come with stuff that you can use in like the living card game they so do it's nothing new there yeah uh it's it's interesting i think yeah like like you say i think it's just a case of board games getting bigger and people being more willing to invest in like the the things that they are into essentially mm. is you know it, you see it happening across the board. There are there are tie-ins of tie-ins for tie-ins. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, and it just makes our life more confusing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, trying to keep up with the lore of something when the lore is in 16 different books, a board game, yeah. a role-playing game, a card game, yeah. um, a mini-series on YouTube. It's... Yep. Just scrolling through text, yeah. just going, I have no idea what this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes me feel like an old person who's out of touch. Well... Let's uh, get you back in on the the, the latest hot trend, uh, or at least it has been for like 10 years. Critical Role. Oh. Yes. Uh, this is something that I don't know loads about because I don't actually watch Critical Role, but I know that you're a fan and you wrote this story about uh, this very nice, good thing that Critical Role are doing. Yeah, I am a fan of Critical Role. Um, I like them very much. Uh, and so, again, for those of you that may not know, Critical Role is an actual play video series. It's been going on for quite a few years now. Um, they're in their second season, and they're they're very popular. <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> going to MCM London one year, and they were there. And oh my goodness, like there were people going around like, "What is this enormous queue to get into one of the theatres?" And they were like, "Oh yeah, it's Critical Role." And obviously, a lot of those people didn't know what the hell that was. But um, it's gotten to the point where they've now launched their own Critical Role Foundation, which is a charity uh, organisation that, quote, want to leave the world in a better place than we found it. Um, They are making partnerships with different non-for-profit groups uh, that kind of reflect the interests of the community and their interests. Uh, So the first uh, partnership they're forming is with First Nations Development Institute, which is an organisation that's dedicated to helping uh, support Native American communities across the US. Um, So they're hoping to raise uh, £50,000 to help the the Native Youth and Culture Fund, uh, which basically goes into local communities and helps young people kind of become leaders and get more access to their their culture um, and they will be forming other partnerships in the future I imagine sort of based on what they think is you know where they think the money is needed and where perhaps taking suggestions from their community Um, they are also making an emergency fund so they're putting about 10% of donations aside uh, for use whenever unexpected disasters happen to occur um so yeah the the president of the organization is ashley johnson who is a cast member of the show uh and she is also a actor of some renown including uh, last of us right yeah <laughs> yeah she plays Ellie in the last circle, of us. Yeah. yeah funnily enough it all swings back round. uh and there's some other some uh, Matthew Mercer is also involved in the the board, um, uh, and yeah, you can donate to the organisation right now, uh, and presumably they'll be doing various drives and and other things uh, related to it. But I think it's a really nice idea. Like they they've done charity sort of collections before for some other organisations, but I think forming their own organization is a nice thing because yeah. they have a lot of people who watch the show and a lot of fans 
and so they have a massive audience to kind of get their message across to um and obviously i don't know them personally but i've always kind of been under the impression that they seem like good folks uh and one day one day we will meet i've actually met them but it was a photo thing so i was i was a scrub then (laughs) but i'm gonna make it up to like elite level to where to where i will i'll meet them in in non-scrub level (laughs) that's how it works at some point everybody gets to it's like the the birthday letter from the queen when you turn 100 and you reach (laughs) a certain level of whatever it may be Matthew Mercer has to come and say hello yeah Uh, yeah Yeah. Uh, to be honest i just want to meet them because they seem like good good fun yeah they seem yeah they seem like good folks doing a nice thing with the platform they have which is Mm. it happens to be a very large platform so good on them yeah good Uh, on them yeah mm mm-hmm Oh, right. Let's uh, swing quickly through these last few, uh, which are just kind of like a couple of interesting games that we picked up mm. um, in the news over the past week. Tell us about Mother of Frankenstein, which is, it seems really cool and kind of odd. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. It's like a, it's like the kind of collaboration you're like, what? Okay. <laughs> so it's an escape room game that's based, if you haven't already guessed on um, Frankenstein, the the book, which is pretty damn good. I know, hot takes <laughs> in the room. Um, by written by Mary Shelley, and the kind of the game's narrative is, it's a weird kind of like alternative fiction, where it's like, oh, it's about Mary Shelley, but obviously this isn't real. What we're we're proposing, but also it's about Frankenstein. And yeah, it's a co-op game where you solve puzzles related to the story. And um, at one point, you build Castle Frankenstein. I was going like to say three D puzzle. When you say solve puzzle, it's all like quite literal in this case because there's there's like two puzzles in there. It's yeah, like the flat are. one that's a floor plan, and then yeah, a literal castle yeah. that you just build. Yeah. Um, and. It was created by a a company called Hatch Escapes, which makes actual escape rooms, in association with Arvind Ethan David, uh, who has produced television and a musical adaptation of Alanis Morissette's album Jagged Little Pill, which I didn't even know existed. Yeah, it's yeah it. This does seem like one of those, like, oh, like, person from actual TV. Because I think they also, the TV show they produced is, um, like, Dirk, Dirk. Gently, like the Netflix yep. version. Yep. Um, so, yeah, like, kind of, like, big projects then yep. coming across into this kind of odd, like, weirdly yeah. ambitious little escape room that has puzzles yeah. in. So. Um, the artist is pretty cool as well. Liana Kangas? Uh, who's done work on various graphic novel series. Um, yeah, if you like Frankenstein, if you like escape rooms, if you like puzzles, <laughs> then uh, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, right now as well, I think. So this is out next spring, if if memory serves. Um, like, there are a number of really good escape rooms you can kind of do at home. Um mm. 
and this yeah i'm i'm really intrigued by this it seems cool i'm all into people throwing random things together and being like oh no let's put jigsaw in this escape room (laughs) now you build the room uh, and they escape from it so yeah it's cool it's not that big matt it's not that big oh yeah yeah disclaimer it's not a literal castle (laughs) yeah but it, it is also a literal castle it's like a thousand pieces something like that which is no that's like a good number of hours to put together i don't make puzzles so <laughs> well I'll, let me tell you as the puzzle expert in this particular <laughs> podcast uh that's that will probably take you a good like five to ten hours at least yes yeah. so yeah there we go uh all right moving swiftly on tell us about a groundhog day the game Groundhog Day, the game, um, is, again, surprisingly enough, based on the film Groundhog Day, uh, very relevant, (laughs) Um, starring Bill Murray, professional weirdo Bill Murray, Um, and it's from Funko Games, uh, the company that made... um, the Funko strategy game, which um, we're not really fans of. Uh, you mean Funko vs. Strategy board game? That's the one. <sighs> the most yeah. unwieldy title in history. Yeah. Uh, um, they've previously, they've sort of hired Prospero Hall to make their Back to the Future game. Yeah, Prospero so I think Hall. they became Funko. I think Prospero Hall became Funko Games. So they were acquired. Oh. So that studio is what was Prospero Hall is now Funker Games, I believe. Um, That's very odd because I swear they were making games. Uh, I don't know. You probably know more about this than I do, but if that's the case, then oh dear. Or it's either it's either oh dear or oh good because because <laughs> Prospero Hall are pretty decent in terms of making games based on existing IPs like I really like Marvel Vill- uh, sorry Disney Villainous like that's a great game um, mm-hmm. uh, you don't expect it to be <laughs> um, I haven't played that Back to the Future game so I can't confirm whether it's any good but because um, uh, that's interesting because Funko Games has made this like they're publishing it and they've designed it so so I wonder if that's actually Prospero Hall like being Funko Games now yeah, um, that would be my guess. Yeah. Uh, but the mechanics are very similar to the mind, where you have to play cards in, like, the correct order or simultaneously each round. But in this case, the rounds are timed, so you kind of have to be as quickly as possible. Um, and they're all each round is like a day in in the life of Phil. <laughs> The weather reporter. <laughs> if if people have not seen Groundhog Day, it's just a film about a person who has to relive the same day of their life over and over again. Um, and so I guess this kind of each round sort of mimics that. Um, it, it. I mean, I think the art is really nice. Yeah, I would say it looks like I think generally Prospero Hall stuff that like it gets the presentation right like you say they're they're surprisingly good for licensed games a lot of the time mm. like this has kind of the nice bright cartoony style i think it's actually really interesting to see a 
a relatively mainstream board game, or at least like trying to be mainstream because Groundhog Day, take something very odd like The Mind, which was yeah. kind of like a big hit, but in terms of people who kind of were into board games, it became like a, a weird sensation when it came out. But mm. most people probably don't know The Mind. Like it's it's not like Catan level. It's not no. Azul level. It's, you know, it, it kind of blew up, but also within a certain bubble but to take the the very odd concept at the center of the mind and be like yeah i don't know groundhog day (laughs) yeah okay this will work it's kind of like a group of people who are aware of like board games (laughs) that are out there are making this game yeah uh and they were like okay what are some interesting mechanics we could employ in this the mind i guess um. Yeah, I can't stop looking at this drawing of a groundhog. <laughs> uh, I just really like it. I think it's adorable. Puxatawney something. Yeah, I can't the, remember the, the name of the groundhog, the famous one. Yeah, the the groundhog. It looks very majestic. <laughs> um, for a groundhog. Um, or chipmunks. Yeah. Are they also chipmunks? I'm no, I don't think so. Okay, oh, that's gosh. a different different. I'm... This is where I'm thankful we don't have a correction section on yeah. there. Please tell us whether ground groundhogs are chipmunks in the comments. Mm, um, please do. I don't yeah. think they are. I think groundhogs are bigger and chipmunks are kind of smaller. They're more like squirrels, aren't they? Chipmunks. Again. I, d- I don't know. Um, no idea. I have not uh, seen a groundhog in person. But yeah. Neither have I. Um, I've seen a wallaby. <laughs> Or I don't think that's a groundhog either. No, no, I know it's not, but I'm just thinking along the same lines. Um, yeah, so there you go. We'll have to wait and see uh, what that's like. Um, I don't think he's got a release date. Uh, next year? Yeah, Sometime which next year. for a licensed game, is there's quite a lot of notice. Normally they just kind of like slide there out. There you go. Yeah, but... <laughs> It's yeah, it's interesting. I think they've got a good track record, um, Prospero Hall anyway, with yeah. kind of taking familiar mechanics from like hobbyist board games and sticking them with like mm. big kind of well known movies or T V shows or whatever it may be. So, you know, I have expectations of this to some degree. I, it probably won't be terrible. It yeah. would be just kind of like, Yeah, this is this is if you've played the mind, this will be familiar. If you haven't played the mind, maybe this is a way into that very kind of odd but interesting experience for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a huge fan of the film. I haven't watched it in years. But I think the art looks great, and the yeah. more I like the mind, sort of, so... Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to quickly whiz through these interesting things on Kickstarter and coming Whoa. out. So, Thunderstone Quest, um, which is a... It's basically like a deck builder... Uh, in the vein of Dominion, but combined oh. with a dungeon crawler, uh, like D and D, or name a dungeon crawler, it's like that. Um, it's I really liked Thunderstone Quest when it came out um, a few years ago. Now, uh, it's kind of a big beefy box that comes with like miniatures and a bunch of cards. You build up your party and characters. You venture into a dungeon. And then you fight a load of stuff and you get treasure and then you spend that treasure on more stuff and then that lets you kill bigger stuff. And that's how it goes. It's pretty good. Um, It's back on Kickstarter this week, I believe. 
Uh, let me just find this date. It will Next launch Tuesday. So by the time you read this, yes, today that will be live. Um, so yes, yeah, called Thunderstone Quest: The Enemies Among Us. So it includes, I believe, like normal Thunderstone Quest. Uh, there's the chance to get all the expansions that have come out for it, um, along with a box that holds them all. But I believe, in terms of the the main game, it's kind of Thunderstone Quest again. But that was an experience I liked very much. So hey, go check it out if you're interested. Uh, also coming to Kickstarter is this little indie release uh, that I was sent that I wrote up because I thought it was very interesting. It called it's got a great name, Ancient Undead Spider Wizard, uh, which I'm sure <laughs> should fit to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ancient Undead Spider Wizard. Yes, yeah. it does. There we go. Um, it is it's a vinyl record. It's a four track EP uh, by Jeffrey Cullop. Uh, so it's like a, a seven inch vinyl disc, and it is sleeved in a dungeon crawl for tabletop RPGs. Uh, and the soundtrack complements the dungeon crawl. So Whoa. the dungeon crawl has ten rooms. There are five monsters: uh, the spider, the cat, the vine, and the serpent, as well as the ancient undead spider wizard. Of course. Uh, and of course. Yeah, so each of the tracks uh, kind of lines up with one of those encounters. Uh, and... so you're, wait, wait. So there is a spider, but there's also an ancient undead spider wizard. Yeah, that confused me as well. Um, <laughs> they yeah. must know each other. You can't live in the same dungeon. <laughs> I assume that the, the ancient undead spider wizard maybe summoned the spider, but maybe that also makes them an ancient undead cat wizard. Because uh, there's also the yeah, cat. Yeah, why does the spider specifically? In that but, case, you know, I bet they're just neighbors. <laughs> they're just, <laughs> they're just good pals, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, there is. So on the the website, we embedded the video. They, uh, Jeffrey has put out one of the the tracks from the soundtrack, and it's yeah, it's instrumental kind of you know, kind of rocky synth Ooh. music. Interesting. Uh, so yeah, it's it's only looking for a very small amount so it's looking for three thousand dollars uh it's launching on october the first and that will just fund a like a run of the vinyl records hmm. but you'll get you'll get the record you'll get the dungeon crawl around it and there you go you can run it and then you've got a record to add to your collection yeah. if that and is what you so wish you too can become an ancient undead spider yeah that's how it works it's like yeah. the ring once you listen <laughs> to it you suddenly start to grow six extra legs Oh, so you're imagining... See, I wasn't imagining, like, a spider that is also a wizard. Oh, uh, you're, you're imagining a wizard that summons spiders. I don't, to be honest, I, I was, don't know. <laughs> I was imagining a wizard that is kind of like a spider. Oh, sure, um, yeah. Yeah, it's got... They've got spider sort of tendencies. Whatever that may be. Just yeah. <laughs> hungry all the time. Sleeps in a hammock. Yeah. Uh, wears a lot of silk clothes. Um, I mean, that's just me that you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it seems cool. It's a very small release. Um, the Dungeon Crawl was originally designed for a game called, I believe, The Black Hack, which is basically like a... It's an OSR game, so it's based on original D&D. Um, but apparently the Dungeon Crawl can be used with any kind of rules-like RPG, so you can use it in whatever game you happen to be playing already. Hmm. Uh, it should just slot in. So, yeah. It's cool to see people doing something interesting with like soundtracks and kind of vi like physical vinyls. Yeah, um, I love that. Stuff. Not just more miniatures and books. <laughs> We're so tired. <laughs> yeah, 
finally, in terms of releases, Infinity, the new Infinity, uh, which is a sci-fi miniatures game that Wills likes very much and Wills uh, converted me to, so now I own an Infinity collection and I like it very much. Uh, the fourth edition is out as of a couple of days ago. Uh, and the you can get the full rulebook for free on Corvus Belli's site, uh, so the publisher's site. They've just put out the complete rulebook in a digital form. Uh, just includes kind of all the new rules, um, which is largely just an update of the third edition from a few years back. Uh, so there are kind of new, uh, there's a couple of new sub factions or sectorial armies as they're known. Uh, there's apparently more flexibility to play with smaller groups of figures. Uh, so Infinity is a game where you only really use up to 15 mil- uh, miniatures each. So it's quite compact to begin with. Um, and just kind of general tweaking and upgrade uh, upgrades and updates and whatnot. So, yeah, they've they've put out like a, a nice slipcase set as well of the rule book and some lore, but you don't need to buy any of that if you don't want to. You can just go find the PDF and play with what you already own. So that's nice. that's more of just a general, hey, this thing's out. Yeah. Hey, everyone. <laughs> hey, go check Look it. Uh, all right, let's squeeze in. Shall we squeeze in a couple of quick emails from the audience? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So convincing. <laughs> I, I mean it with all my soul. <laughs> yeah, for okay. some reason you sounded like a like a kid participating in like a children's TV game show. <laughs> like, yeah. That's um, because I feel like that's every day of my life. Well, I take that as a positive thing. Uh, <laughs> if you've got an email and or question for the Dicebreaker team, you can find us at Dice... Not at Dice... At podcast at Dicebreaker.com. We can find us on Twitter at Join Dicebreaker, mm. on Dicebreaker.com, YouTube.com forward slash Dicebreaker, or yeah. wherever you may wish to find us, Google mm. us. Yeah, you'll, going you'll to us. a hole somewhere. We might be there. <laughs> a small hole. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I will read this one okay. from Charlie Efridge Nunn. Who says Boy Problems was a pretty cool RPG based on the music of Carly Rae Jepsen? What other musicians should inspire an RPG or board game? Uh, I've read this one partly because uh, I'm on record as absolutely adoring Carly Rae Jepsen, yeah. and also because we have played Boy Problems on the channel uh, for EGX Res a few months ago, which you should go and watch because yeah. it's extremely chaotic. Who would have thought? Um, but I also pulled this Us. one because I I know that. You uh, are very much a music lover, uh, and I believe that a number of the artists you are into may make for very good RPG kind of ideas. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I also like Carly Rae, not as much as you, uh, but I do like her music, so I think it's great that she has an RPG. (laughs) Uh, I mean, let's get the obvious ones out of the way, Kate Bush, obviously. That would be amazing as an RPG. I think, we'd, I think we talked about that in the past. Um, I think we talked about playing an RPG with Kate Bush. With her, yeah. No, playing an RPG based on her music would be amazing. Because she, yeah, like her albums often have themes in it anyway. And quite a lot of her songs will have a narrative structure. Others will just be off the, off the wall. But um, yeah, like... She has a song about doing a jailbreak. No, sorry, like a bank robbery. She has another song about running away from love when you need to accept it in your heart. Um, 
so I think that would make for a, an amazing RPG. Um, yeah, you could do like different levels based on her different album. Uh, what other ones would be good? Hmm. Uh, I'll jump in here and say that yeah. I think this has this has come up on a stream somewhere before, but because this question's being asked here, I think that a Wu Tang Clan RPG <laughs> would be very good. You could have each of the members of the Wu Tang Clan as different classes, uh, and they are based on their different styles. You could probably, like, with the correct treatment and handling, uh, kind of spring off of the love of kung fu films that they base a lot of their albums around. Uh, so the 36 Chambers of Shaolin. Uh, you could probably have that kind of meld of like old kung fu films alongside the personalities of the Wu-Tang Clan um, and their various rapping styles. Mm. Uh, you, probably the GM would just be RZA um, <laughs> because he kind of controls that group uh, and has a lot to do with their output. Um, I think that it would be very good. Uh, someone should make a Wu Tang Clan RPG. Yeah, um, uh, viewers and listeners are peek behind the curtain. Uh, Mr. Jarvis has talked to me about Wu Tang Clan multiple times since we started working together. I know absolutely nothing about their music, about who they are, whatever. But hearing him talk about them is brings me a lot of joy. Because his face just lights up, <laughs> and it's just—it is—it is fun to sometimes to listen to someone talk about something that they clearly care very much about, and you have absolutely no idea yourself. Uh, it's yeah, it's like having a, t- a child who talks to you about stuff where you're like, wow. I don't know what this is, but I'm very, I'm very happy for you. Just the metaphorical um, pat on the head, like that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would also say, and I'm sure Mr. Jarvis would agree with me, there is a, a genre of music called surf rock, um, which is kind of kind of loose. It's a loose term, but the general kind of big factors are usually the person's talking about how they're fed up with someone or something, <laughs> or like they're, they're just kind of, they've got this tone of like, oh god, okay, yeah. I'm going to rebel against you, but in a very kind of nonplussed way. Um, and there is uh, an artist called uh, Snail Mail, mm-hmm. who I like very much. I believe you are aware of as Yes, well, I bought that album the other day on a record. Yeah, it's yeah. It's very good. It's very good. Uh, and like, I would probably put Waxahachie in that group as well. Yeah, like um, Beach House, I guess, falls in that yeah. category. You mean like modern... Because when you said surf rock, I thought of like yeah. early Beach Boys. Like, yeah, no. look how yeah, sunny it's... it is. Let's let's follow these women around in a car, <laughs> kind of like. <laughs> no, no, no. I I might have gotten the term wrong, but as far as I know, uh, that that kind of genre of, of music, um, I would love an RPG sort of based on that, like where you're hanging around a town where not a lot happens. And you're young and frustrated and bored. And there are so many people who annoy you and you've just had enough of it all. Yeah, and just play an RPG. You just have like an angst meter. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. You draw cards to, okay, who are you annoyed with? What are you annoyed about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'd go for that. I like all those groups. 
Uh, I'll also throw in at the end, while I'm thinking about ensembles, because I think ensembles would be fun as classes, uh, my wife is big into BTS, and so now <laughs> I am big into BTS. Uh, and much like the Wu-Tang Clan, there are many members of BTS, and they each yes. have their own styles and solo kind of trajectories, as well as being in a group. So yeah. I think a BTS RPG would be very good. I think it's only a matter of time. I mean, they're enormous, aren't they? They're only getting bigger. Like, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if there was a tabletop RPG based on BTS. Yeah, yeah, another subject you talked to me about, and I'm like, oh, I don't I, know. <laughs> to, the, to the audience, I must be, I must just sound intolerable, just like talking at you about these things. I know, no audience, understand. I love it when when Matt does this. It's one of my favorite things. But I, I will say on BTS, they so there is a BTS very big boy band um, from South Korea. Uh, very good music. Um, they have a program called Run BTS where they largely just play games with each other. So they play a lot of like traditional games or kind of mm. games where there are various kind of um, like they'll put something up to be won from one of the members or there will be some kind of forfeit if they lose. So I think you could frame it around that and have a fun, almost like party game based on Run BTS. Yeah. Yeah, and then you one of each one of you has to like be in the same sort of like personality as one of the members of the BTS. Yeah. So like one of you is like the bad like rebel. Yeah. Like, they're kind of split of between like Yeah. Um singers and rappers. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you could have Sugar and John Cook as kind of two ends of the spectrum. The the class scale, yeah. Good good one. Um, good good <laughs> good one and bad one yeah, not, yeah. Not, not like quality wise just like yeah ba- baby face and heel kind of thing exactly um yeah. uh, yes but anyway BT- bts <laughs> are good um <laughs> that game will almost certainly happen because they are also very popular and yes. i feel like it's an inevitability mm. uh Anyway, let's move on to another question. Thank you for your question, Charlie. Let's. Yeah. Would you like to read this one from David, please? David mm-hmm. uh, says, Hello, everyone. As one of your older listeners, I've played a decent amount of the original Hero Quest, but will be not investing in the new version. Personally, I was much more excited about the reissue of the non-Sidmire Civilization a few years ago. We've heard in previous podcast episodes that Mian enjoys an occasional game of backgammon. I do. And that Matt and Johnny play Diplomacy. What other games from what we might call before the Catan era did the team think are worth our time? Um, When there are probably too many games for anyone to play them all. Thank you for your question, David. Um, I would say because it was mentioned, I really like Civilization, original Civilization. Um, it still holds up. It's very much of its era, um, but it's really, it's a really fun game. There is like the heart of original civilization um, by a designer called Francis Tresham, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Um, is that you do the you do the stuff on the map where you expand your kind of faction. You know, you move into new areas, and then there is a trading time, um, which you kind of set a timer for. It's like five to fifteen minutes. And you swap cards, so you're swapping resources in order to then pay for technologies and developments. But you also hold disaster cards, so like volcanoes or plagues or whatever it may be. 
And when you trade, you kind of trade face down and each card, I believe, has a value. Um, and you just say the kind of combined value of the cards. So you're, you're not being specific about what the cards are. You're just saying these cards are worth X and someone can choose to accept them in a trade for like whatever they are offering. And because it's all face down, you are trying to give disasters to people before the timer is up because once the trading round ends, basically it all you know, goes to hell, volcanoes erupt, famine happens, basically all the bad stuff that you've just given to other people. So there's a lot of poker faces as you're kind of getting these disasters off people, giving them a kind of upset glance and then trying to pass them off to other people. Um, it's a really fun game, but the heart of it um, was also appeared in a game called Pit, which I think is from the 1920s and may have been mentioned on this podcast before, where you are just trading things face down um, and trying to complete a, like basically a rummy set. Um, but there is a bull and a bear that you also want to give away because you can't win if you're holding the bull, I believe. Um, but you'll just have face down and be like, uh, but everyone's doing it at the same time. So it's a lot of noise and everyone's just trading with each other until someone gets a full set to win. Um, but because it's so simple and so chaotic and noisy, Pit is still fantastic it's a really really fun game um mm. so if you can find a copy and i think it's relatively widely available and very cheap because it's just a set of cards uh you should play pit it is mm. yeah i would say i would really like to see mousetrap make a comeback mm. like i think that game has a reputation of being like more of a gimmick than an actual like game and it is in its current well classic form i imagine it's been bought back by hasbro or something and it's just basically what it used to be but i would really like to see that game be evolved into like more of a modern like dexterity game like there are so many excellent dexterity games out now uh that i think if someone took the basic idea of you're building a device during the game and then at some point that device is triggered maybe by someone being clumsy or something like that and then that person you know is penalized for it i think that would work amazingly well because like there are plenty of games kind of like that now and i think that element of building during the game is really interesting mm. um and you could make it more than just you move around the board to get cheese. Oh, <laughs> someone's. And that really disappointing moment where you set the trap off or something and then it doesn't actually work properly. I was going to say, that's that's the memory I have of Mousetrap. It's yeah. like, oh, the, the diver jumped but missed the bucket or yeah. the thing didn't fall down or it fell down too early. So I think, yeah. I think you're right. Like the idea of building something for a game and having that like physical thing. Yeah. It's like a really fun idea that I can't think of loads of games that do it, mm. but it just needs to be tight enough to not yeah. kind of fall apart when it gets to the big moment of yeah. like turning the crank. Or Yeah, there are some really, I have very fond memories of the game, but mostly of like being fascinated by all the pieces in there mm. and like the way it, it worked in terms of just putting things together. Like I don't actually have many memories of playing the game. Possibly because I didn't have anyone who wanted to play it with me. But um, I think that kind of game would work really well now. 
if it was given a, a rejig in terms of the design and given more to actually work with. Because um, I think there's much more of a market for games like that now. Like before it was, oh, this is kind of gimmicky, and but it's one of those games that of the era where it's like, eh, there's not really much going on here, is there? Um, yeah, given a second chance, I reckon Mousetrap could be real good. Yeah, attach it to a game that's not just roll and move. Yeah, but isn't there mouse... someone from outside Xbox who's obsessed with Mousetrap? I, I don't know, to be honest. Oh. Mousetrap Legacy, that's what we need. <laughs> you permanently weld the parts together, <laughs> oh, and by God. the end you've got this kind of... Yeah, like... Um... Like the magazines where you used to get things and you would build a robot over like 400 issues and it would cost you about a grand yeah. because each magazine was seven quid. Oh yeah, but that robot... Totally worth it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's do one last one. Squeezing in at the end from Michael Page. Uh, hello, lovely Dicebreaker team. Hello, Michael. Uh, is there a game that you have ever played wrong and then gone back to find your version is better? This might be through misinterpreting a mechanic or playing by house rules. Hmm. I think Wheels was talking the other day, and I thoroughly agree with him, about uh, Dead of Winter. And how technically uh, there is a chance that you might not get a traitor in the game. Because uh, you put a certain amount of traitor cards in the deck uh, per person playing. And it is balanced so that there is a potential that there won't be a traitor in the game. But that is boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dead of Winter, the traitor mechanic is a, f- is a fundamental part of that game. Otherwise, you know, it's a decent co-op game, but the traitor element makes it, elevates it beyond, you know, above that. And so I think, yeah, I've almost always played the game deliberately with with enough traitor cards to ensure that that we will get at least one. Yeah. um, So I guess that's my house rule. But I'm not sure we started doing that unknowingly. I think we deliberately did it from the off just because I think we did play one game without a traitor in it and we're like well this is okay but it's not the same I will say Gloomhaven when I first started playing Gloomhaven we got the um, exhaust mechanic wrong so over time you kind of lose cards from your deck um, as you use as you use them and then eventually you just become exhausted basically and fail the scenario potentially Mm. Um, and I don't think it makes it better but i think it makes it a lot easier it's like kind of a nice variant if you're just looking to get through because sometimes having to repeat a scenario can be quite deflating at the end because not it has honestly been a little while since i played gloomhaven but from what i remember if you fail a scenario it's not like you keep going like in pandemic legacy and you just you know move on and something happens it's like okay you need to take another stab at this until you do it yeah um yeah so i think just sometimes having that extra thing of like look you know, this is just like our minds aren't in the right place right now. We're not thinking strategically enough, but here's just like a little bit of an out where we can still enjoy this game, but not feel like we have to crunch our brains to get through it. Um, mm. In terms of deliberate stuff, uh, Seafall, which is a flawed game, um, is not made to be played in co-op with two people, uh, but I have played the entire campaign in co-op with two people. And I enjoy that game for despite all its flaws. Um, mm. if you largely ignore the em- enmity mechanic, um, which I think a lot of people had gripes with, um, 
you can just kind of enjoy the story, enjoy sailing around, discovering things on islands. Uh, and I think it would work fine as a co-op game. I think if, you know, the, there'll be a reason for everything being in that game, but I think I would have been perfectly happy if it had come out as a co-op game where you just sail around, have a fun time, go to islands, like exp- basically make it like a exploration game rather than a competitive uh, like build up your fleet game. Um, but yeah. I, st- I still like Seafall despite all its issues. I, you know, I had I had a fun time with it multiple times through. So there we go. There's another Matt Jarvis hot take. I think yeah, I think I'm firmly on the record about not not being in the camp of hating Seafall. I think at some point it became cool to kind of to hate on Seafall, but it it has issues. But I don't think it's like a terrible game. I think it's just a flawed game that a lot of people yeah. kind of took against. I've never played it, so I have no comment. It's very cheap to buy, so if you're well! looking to, it's it's often on sale for like ten quid, um, and I would say for ten pounds, if you've got people who are willing to be a little bit loose with the rules, just looking for a fun legacy game, like some of the writing in there is really fun. It like really goes places by the end. It's, I think it has some really interesting ideas that override its mm. flaws and make it worth playing if you're willing to overlook some of the issues. There we go. Um, speaking of which, uh, let's <gasps> let's wrap up this week uh, with a little look around at what's coming up in Dicebreaker, um, which means I actually need to check the schedule because I forgot to fill out this part of the <laughs> podcast document uh, and there's no video team because normally I just throw over to the video team. Yeah, usually um, we use them as, as, a, as a crutch. Um, then They're not here, and so we must step yeah. up to the plate, me and... Yeah, we uh, must... Um... So okay. this week on dicebreaker.com, uh, dice, this week on youtube.com slash dicebreaker, <laughs> uh, I jumped ahead. I'm too used to plugging the website. Uh, we have a list of the most beautiful RPGs from Wheels, which will be landing just after this podcast goes up on the Saturday. Um, we also have the first part or perhaps the entire entirety of uh, Wheels, Johnny and I playing Agon with John Harper and Alison Arf. Um which is so John Harper of Blades in the Dark fame. Um, and Agon is kind of his uh, inspired by Greek heroics and uh, epics. So, like the Odyssey and, you know, Hercules and whatnot. Mm. Uh, it falls in that kind of camp. It is a very fun game. Uh, I've been enjoying it very much. Um, and that playthrough uh, with John Nelson was extremely fun. So, I would, yeah, I'd really recommend checking that out. Uh, we also should have a let's play of Dinosaur World, uh, which is the new game in the Dinosaur Island series uh, going out very soon. Uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, and already live uh, of, from the past couple of weeks, uh, the some of the video team have been playing Among Us, which is not a board game, but a video game uh, with outside Xbox and Eurogamer in kind of like a freeway stream. Um, so Among Us, that... That hit uh, social deduction video game mm. that was that came out like two years ago and now is yeah. suddenly all anybody yeah. can talk about in video game world. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it is a uh, it's very entertaining to watch. So it is very entertaining to watch. You can um, find those streams. I think from all for all three perspectives. So they are they were joining. They were streaming at the same time. Yeah. So you could watch. I believe Wheels uh, was the perspective for Dicebreaker. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's like Luke and Ian. Uh, with the other two streams, mm. but you can you can watch one, 
uh, at a time, just one, or maybe all three at once if you're looking for the Whoa, kind of the all-in experience. Properly. Exactly. Uh, so uh, yeah, plenty happening over on the YouTube channel. And uh, the stream for this week was a nice painting stream. Yes, that it was. That happened yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and but you can watch that on playback. I'm sure. You can. I say this is the there will be the one time it breaks. It's the problem <laughs> of like recording the podcast early in the week is as soon as we say anything, something happens and the yeah. schedule falls apart. As is the way with technology. But uh, yes, mm. the painting stream should have happened yesterday. Uh, but over on dicebreaker.com, well. uh, the realm of, uh, of course, me and I, uh, we have had a number of features. I wrote an opinion piece this week uh, about broken board games, um, or not quite broken board games. So basically games that people kind of criticize for being broken or unfair or kind of very driven by luck, but how sometimes that can be a good thing because... Mm. Really, if you take all that stuff out, sometimes you're left with quite a bland, kind of forgettable experience. So tom- yeah. sometimes you just need a little bit of a few rough Yolo. edges. Yeah, exactly. Yolo, Matt Jarvis. Yes, uh, as as <laughs> as we here at Dicebreaker say, Yolo. <laughs> uh, also on the website this week, uh, gosh, I really should have filled this out. Uh, we have a how to play for Pan uh, for Catan. Sorry, uh, we have a guide coming up on how to design interesting puzzles for D&D. Uh, me and you have a list coming up very soon on some of the best horror tabletop RPGs. Yes. Uh, ahead of Halloween, of course. Yeah, for spooks. For spooks. For spooks, Mr. Jarvis. Uh, and we will we will no doubt have some interesting spooky plans mm. around Halloween, so oh, you can look for sure. forward to that. Uh, but yes, it is all a go. On Dicebreaker. It is all a go and just a little bit of a gone on dicebreaker.com, youtube.com slash dicebreaker. And if you want any merch, of course, it is dicebreaker.myshopify.com where you can find our kind of whole range. Like this bottle, you should get. (laughs) Like this bottle, handily produced from the wings. Yeah. But for this week, that is now all we have time for. Of course, thank you for joining me, Alex Meehan. Oh, it's been great. Uh, I have been Matt Jarvis. It's weird not to have anyone else to, to outro <laughs> with. Uh, it's just been the two of us, but it's been very enjoyable. Yeah, just and, the two of us. Mm-hmm. And we did make it. And yeah. We tried. Uh, <laughs> we tried. That's the that's the comment on the report. <laughs> hey, we hey we made we tried and we made it. It's all good. Yeah. Um, but of course, I've been Matt Jarvis. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next Friday with more of the Dicebreaker podcast. But until then, have a lovely day. Bye. Bye.